0: Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news, trends, and hottest topics that focus on advances in cybersecurity and cyber industry economics. Our expert yet down to earth hosts make cybersecurity straightforward. They ask the tough questions and make this challenging topic something that everyone can understand. Our candid approach lets guests open up on topics we would all like to see addressed. You can find us on the web at newcyberfrontier.com. That's www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join today's host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier.
1: Welcome back, everybody. My name is Sean Murray at the New Cyber Frontier. I'll be your host today. Uh, We have a special guest with us all the way from Los Angeles, E.J. Hilbert. E.J. Hilbert is the Managing Director for the Cyber Privacy Practice uh, at CNN LLP. Welcome. Welcome. EJ thank you
2: well I appreciate you having me on today
1: so no, it's awesome that you could uh, to, could join us and, and our listeners will be intrigued with you know your background and and um, you know some of the contributions that you have you know having said that once you give us a little bit of, about your background who are you where you come from and um, you know what are you doing today
2: I'm gonna to I'm gonna try to break this down into the smallest chunk possible I have a very eclectic background um, I began my professional career, if you will, as a high school teacher uh, in Southern California in history and science, as well as a coach in uh, cross-country basketball and baseball. Um, I then left teaching and was working for the company that creates the black boxes in aircraft. And then I left there and became an FBI agent in cybercrime and counterterrorism. Um, Very linear path, you can tell all the way through. Uh, (laughs) Did a lot of uh, very cool things in the FBI, given that they had... um, This was brand new. People don't realize that the FBI did not actually have a cyber division until 2002, and I had joined in 1999. Did a lot of the casework, a lot of the big studies that people talk about uh, going back in terms of criminal organizations, cyber-based stuff, I got an opportunity to work on either as an FBI agent or post-FBI. I left the FBI in uh, 2007, and then – Did a small stint with a consulting group and then joined MySpace when MySpace was the big and cool thing and dealt with all the problems therein uh, and then left them when they, uh, well, when basically when Facebook took over and MySpace uh, lost a large portion of the market share. Ran a firm out of New York for a couple of years dealing in the online ad space, how people make money from stolen uh, credit cards, ads, uh, things of that nature. Then joined up with a firm called Kroll, did computer forensics and investigations, harkening back to my FBI days. Um, and then set up Kroll's cyber practice across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, was over there for the uh, for the Shamoon attack against uh, Saudi Aramco, where they knocked out thirty thousand computers. Dealt with a lot of various different elements from there. After my stint in Europe, uh, came back and was with PricewaterhouseCoopers out of the Bay Area. Uh, I've also then moved back to the LA area, which is where my wife's family's from. My, my, uh, my family's here as well. Parents are getting older and, uh, joined a firm called Gavin DeBecker and Associates. You may have heard them as well. They were involved in the Jeff Bezos naked photo scandal for lack of a better word. Um, and then, um, it's a unique situation in terms of why uh, I left there, but left there, ended up uh, being COO for a company that was utilizing a authorized botnet to do network traffic analysis around the world from actual user computers with a cryptocurrency backend on that. Um, the owners of that company and I disagreed. I left there and joined CNM and have been running their practice for just over a year, year and a half now. Um, but, yeah, stra- clearly a straightforward,
1: right. normal uh, career inside pivot, of security. turn left. Pivot, turn yeah. right.
2: <laughs> it's the old Bugs Bunny commercial for, or uh, uh, old Bugs Bunny cartoon that most people probably don't remember anymore. But, you know, I think I took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. Yeah, that's what's happened. But I'm still here.
1: so <laughs> That's right.
0: Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Well, great.
1: Um, We're glad to have you on. Uh, Diverse background, Uh, you know, with with that kind of background that's, you know, you're one of the pioneers uh, especially, you know, joining the Bureau back during 99, uh, one of the things that I teach in, in some of my courses, um, the Scientific Working Group on Digital Evidence Um um, a lot of the alphabet agencies, to include the FBI, Secret Service, um, the Postal Inspector General, a bunch of, of our, a DEA, a lot of those organizations came together back in, in, in 98 and 99 and put together what is known today as the, um, as the discipline for uh, investigating forensics and digital evidence. Um, and it was, as was presented at an international cyber um, uh, forum in, over in, in Europe. And those principles still stand today. They've been modified a little bit, but um, you know, any uh, any interaction with uh, SWEIGI, we call it SWEIGI Scientific Working Group with Digital Evidence.
2: Yeah, I had just come on to the bureau when all this was coming into play, and and uh, how forensics was going was to be conducted, how it was going to be obtained, or how it was going to be maintained for court. Um, and there was a big push. So yeah, I got an opportunity for that uniquely. I fell into a, a case that involved an Eastern European group, uh, um, Alexei Ivanov and Vasily Gorshkov hacking into U.S. companies and uh, threatening to go public with credit card database, the original ransomware, if you will, before there was actually a software approach, and how to collect that information, how to how to do this properly on a global scale, because these are Russian kids. Uh, working through Azerbaijan. How are we going to collect that evidence, maintain it, uh, utilize it in court cases when it had never been tried before? So, yeah, working with the various different groups, with Postal, with uh, Secret Service, um, with even with the uh, people don't know this, the IRS CID, which is their Criminal Investigation Division, with Squeegee, with all of these different groups to put it all together. Um, and like you said, the the standard still exists. It's been modified all the way through. Um, I'm sure some of it got modified because of the way I screwed it up along the way. But um, yeah, when you're, you know, we were taking down wares sites that you guys, people probably don't deal with anymore. And you go in and you'd seize 80, 90 computers with CD burners and um, how you're gonna retain that evidence. It's a it was a, uh, it was a unique time um, uh, and, Everything that they were doing then, they're still doing now. We just give it new names. They're just doing it. Uh, we, I, I use the term cyber-dependent versus cyber-enabled crime. Cyber-dependent are all those old crimes that you could do with the frauds, this uh, the bootlegging uh, of of software or or videos or whatever. Um, they just became easier online. Um, so that's uh, uh, cyber-enabled. Cyber-dependent are those cra- those crimes or those issues that only happen on a computer. Denial of service attacks, viruses, malware, things of that nature. Um, and that though those terms have never really taken off, um, for those of us that were doing this years and years and years ago, uh, we recognize those categorizations and, and broke things down that way.
1: Yeah, and one of the other uh, big differences, you know, going back to that timeframe to now is we didn't have a lot of cybersecurity law. Uh, right. Fundamental cybersecurity law, uh, foundational law. So you guys were using, you know, what already existed in, in stretching the uh, the angles for discovery, for chain of custody, for international interstate. And today it's a, a lot easier. Um, we have a lot more infrastructure in place. Um, Suege still exists. Um, it, they've got a great resource site. Um, um, if anyone wants to jump out there, um, just a plug for, for a nonprofit out there that, uh, for the international computer uh, computer, um, industry for digital forensics. Um, so, okay. So a lot of time, uh, doing cool stuff for the Bureau, um, around the world, uh, playing in a a lot of backyards, um, transitioned away from the Bureau. How did that go?
2: Well, it's, uh, well, I, you know what, it was tough. Uh, the, honestly, I thought I was going to be an FBI agent for life. Um, there is actually a wired article about me uh, about why I left the FBI, and I'll tell you it is about 70% correct. Uh, in the short term, it was a running a source, an international source that's never been done before, and it goes to your point of not having the legal framework with which to work in. So you bring in an individual from overseas, they come and work in the United States or help you out. You chase bad guys around the world, um, and then they're done with their time frame and one, technically, they're legally in the country, so they should be deported. But they're going to get probation, and then they skip on probation and leave the country and go out, and then all of a sudden, now they're illegal. The, like you said, the laws were not designed um, and were not um, implemented in such a way to take these things into cases. So, uh, transitioned out, um, went to a a small consultancy firm, started their cyber practice. Around digital forensics, identifying uh, evidence as it, as it existed on on various different things, went to MySpace, which was the big guys in the in the area, uh, to get them as a client. And basically, they offered me more money. And you know, coming right out of the government and not making anything and living in Southern California, you're like, "Hey, look at this!" Um, and truthfully, they, you know, they had an issue around uh, what we would now call manipulation. Uh, stealing people's credentials or their accounts on MySpace, taking them over, um, pushing various different ideologies or products that they were trying to sell, defrauding people through credit card frauds and things of that nature. Um, and it was the form of spam at that time and um, primarily the three, think of it as chat spam or or comment spam for those on social media today uh, or direct messenger spam. And people would fall for it. But you know what? We were, the team got together. We came in. We went from somewhere close to 12 to 14 million pieces of spam being posted daily to less than 12,000 in about six months. It's awesome. Sued the big guys that were responsible. Um, and here's a concept for anybody out there. If you ever get caught, brought in and say, hey, we need you to solve this problem. Negotiate in your contract that you get a percentage of whatever you win in lawsuits against the bad guy. All right, because we sued and won hundred and twenty hundred and forty million dollars against the bad guys. That was the settlement. Facebook sued the same people and won eight hundred million dollars against wow. the bad guys. Now they didn't collect that, don't get me wrong. But all I was thinking is, wow, wouldn't it be nice if I had like one percent of anything I won would be part of my
1: <laughs> content. Well, you know, these are great uh, topics. We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back. Welcome back to the new Cyber Frontier. We are on with uh, uh, E.J. Hilbert from CNMLLP, uh, based out of Los Angeles. Um, great, colorful background, uh, a pioneer. I'm going to continue to use that. That's, that's the way we say uh, we're not old. <laughs> that's a nice <laughs> that's way to right. say that we're not old. But, uh, you know, growing up with the technology, actually flying the aircraft, as we would say it in the Air Force, while we're building it um and uh you know a lot of that experience you pull forward um you know on the commercial side yeah we start getting paid we call it the dark side when you leave government and uh you finally start making some money um so so what are you doing today well nowadays i uh
2: i work with a company like i said CNMLLP um and we it's a small uh consultancy firm here in the Los Angeles area but we have offices in New York uh, San Diego, San Francisco, up and down the coast on California. And really, we do three primary things, or me and my my team and I. Um, and I'm one of those guys who still likes to keep his hands dirty and get involved in it. Um, uniquely, when I was with Kroll a number of years back, my, my uh, team in the lab were far better and far more efficient than I were. Uh, I was, and they'd I'd come in and they'd see me sitting at the stop and I'm running, you know, FTK or in or whatever, and they'd wait for a few minutes. And then they look at me and go, look, EJ, you're far better at dealing with, you know, the governance and the investigation, let us do this, just go away. So I'm still dirty. Uh, I still get involved every once in a while. I'm just not as good as I used to be by any means. Uh, my team deals in, we deal a lot in privacy. We deal a lot in CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, uh, helping people understand what that means, what's involved there. We do cybersecurity assessments um, with true feedback. Uh, a lot of assessments are all out there and say, "Well, you don't have this, you don't have this, you don't have this." They'll go against a framework, uh, be it you know a NIST or a or an ISO or a CIS. Um, But one of the elements for my team that is required is if you're going to make a recommendation, you have to give very clear recommendations. This is what you need to do in order to do this. And then we do some specialty consulting. Um, You suffer through a a breach. And yes, there are thousands of firms out there right now that'll do incident response work for you. Um, I like to do incident management. Um, yes, somebody can come in and do the forensics and tell you what's happened, but how do you manage that? How do you deal with law enforcement if you need to? How do you deal with outside um, uh, vendors, contractors, things of that nature, investors in some cases, how do you do internally? So we do a lot of that work um, and just help people see this. Uh, my goal is to is to educate. Uh, if you're calling me, you're calling me because you have something going on and we'll educate you and tell you what's going on. And, and oftentimes people doubt me on this, but oftentimes we'll tell people they don't need us. You don't need us to do this. You have a good grasp of this because cyber is scary and romantic and you know the thing of Hollywood movies. And um, But the truth is if my 80 year old dad can get online and play games with his friends across the world in a remote location, Basically, anybody can understand this if you're just willing to take the time to learn it. Um,
1: yeah, and oftentimes we call that a culture issue, right? So yeah. it comes down to balancing the needs of the business, the capabilities, so that people are productive, and then aligning that cybersecurity strategy. Um, you know, when you when you you know you talk about uh, you know what it is going in, you know, that's that level of integrity uh, to go in and and not use the the new terms of cybersecurity just to go in and generate revenue. It really is a partnership, and that should be a perspective for um, someone who's considering a consulting firm who uh, for MSSP or or a consulting uh, firm to come in and help you with your strategy. Um, Yeah, the integrity to be able to come back and say, you know, you have all the resources here. Don't spend the $45,000 to implement this framework over here. When you have a person here that, you know, we can Uh, we can spend some time training them in this area here and then that person becomes more valuable they're already part of your organization so that provides a lot of uh, credibility uh, as well so uh, it's great to hear that we have partners out there in our industry that are still doing that
2: yeah I mean I actually got a call from a, a, a person this morning who had been quote laid off from given the COVID situation and was asking about you know where do you go or what's next and Um, You know, this is a this is a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar business in cybersecurity and privacy, and everybody is getting into it. There's not a there's not a consultancy firm out there that I've heard of that doesn't have a hand in cyber um, somehow. The problem with that, and particularly for those listeners out there that are trying to understand how to get into this field, is if you're just doing it for money, um, you're going to be highly disappointed. Because your your approach to it is going to be to sell something very quickly, and then they're going to put it into play, and then you're gonna you're going to have to either leave something out, or they're going to have to not listen to you in order for you to come back. Right. Um, that's just the nature of what this is. There are methodologies uh, and there's elements that make security, make cyber a a business, a return on an investment. It is a business approach. We're seeing it now if um, we are at that point where because of the, uh, the COVID situation, because of the work from home, a you never just side note, you never use security as a market differentiator. All right, if you say you're better security wise than somebody else, then we are all going to attack you, I guarantee you. But security is something that you have to have. Uh, functionality is something you have to have. And the transition into privacy of data managing it, controlling it, locating it properly, um, training your people on how to use it is going to come in. And a lot of people, a lot of companies haven't made this transition yet, but you'll start to see it with privacy laws coming in. Data that you hold is 10 times more valuable than what was happening before this, because people will give you the rights to use the data. And therefore, if I give you my, my permission to use my data, you're going to have really cool elements about who I am. And it is going to become the intellectual property of companies. So for those people who have been looking at cybersecurity as just a quick moneymaker all the way through, you're right. It's a flash in the pan. It'll be just like it was in the early 90s with ISPs. There was one on every corner and then they all disappeared. And for those of you too young to understand that, do your research, you'll find it. Um, We're gonna have the same thing happen on the quote cybersecurity firms uh, approach. Uh, We're going to start seeing a culling of the market and they're gonna limit down. So those of you who wanna stay in this, you you need to understand that you're offering a service to companies that they need to feel they trust you for who you are.
1: Yeah, Zoom. Uh, Zoom. Two, been two security
2: guys doing it, and we can't figure out a way to make it so that it
1: doesn't freeze in the middle of it. Yeah, that's it's, it's phenomenal. I'll just blame Zoom. Their their they're, their servers can't <laughs> handle the load.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I, you know. It, actually, that's a good point to go in the conversation. Um, is this use of Zoom and things of that nature? I don't know if um, people recognize that Alex Stamos, formerly of of uh, Facebook uh, CISO. He's now over at Zoom trying to clean it all up. But um, if, you're, if you're monitoring this uh, environment at all, something to consider is the fact that you're now seeing uh, Facebook and Microsoft and Amazon and Cisco. They've held back. They've waited to see where the pitfalls were in this kind of new environment. And now they are going to be pushing it hard with their their uh, video monitor, their video conversation pieces, and video uh, connection ideas, and um, it's going to be a whole new market. So, just something.
1: Yeah, you know. Um- I'm sure you know you're out there in California, uh, 30th of March, um, you know, U.S. District Court of Northern California, uh, privacy lawsuit, class action against Zoom um, for you know a lack of consent, lack of disclosure, you know, selling uh, privacy information off its platform to Facebook and other outlets, uh, about a third of its traffic going through China, and you know I think what's been uh, kind of amazing though is. A quick response for zoom to address the issue instead of pushing back right and so to your point i think some of the other platforms right. are, are taking note of that um the zoom bombing you know hey you know not only uh, uh does zoom have some flaws and vulnerabilities that maybe the application um uh, should have been uh, looking at uh, they've addressed a lot of those issues they continue to do them and push those updates out but you know the responsibility of the organization to adopt new technology whether it's zoom or anything else guess what you've got to configure it you've got to secure it you can't just you know deploy stuff and and just to meet a, a business need without considering the other aspects of it and yeah. that's where you know firms like yours come in uh, as a consultant to, to to help that organization out um, it just it, it proves back to your point of, yeah. um, of of it's a collaboration it's a it's a it's a partnership
2: yeah, and to your point, there. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade or, or not going to zoom at all. They, you know, they were a, a startup that came into play. They did what everybody else did, you know, in order to monetize what they were creating, uh, utilizing the opportunity to sell data and elements therein. Um, and to that exact point, the CEO stepped forward and said, "Made mistakes. Sorry, uh, we did it. Uh, we're doing the best we can to fix this all up." And and they're going around, but it uniquely, it ties to that, you know, the the class action lawsuit that was filed and even going back further to your conversation about not having real cyber laws. There are very few cyber laws uh, that, that denote how or what must happen in order to protect data. Or what will happen to you, what the penalty is when that happens? Mm-hmm. Truth is, right now, there are only truly really two in full play. You've got GDPR in, in Europe, uh, the, the uh, General Data Protection Rights Act, that has a penalty up to 4% of a company's um, annual revenue. And then you have uh, CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which also has, there's one in Nevada, there's one in Maine, there's one in Ohio, there's one in New New York hasn't finished theirs yet, uh, Washington. But the CCPA says, if you do not do this, um, and I'll explain this in just a moment, there is a true penalty for a minimum of $100 up to $750 per person. Or the Attorney General of the State of California can sue you for $2,500 up to $7,500 piece of information. Side note that people should should be aware of uh, that most don't think of. Under CCPA, the Attorney General of the State of California has to decide if there should be an enforcement action. All right. But we have a thing in California called PAGA, the Private Attorney General Act. And under this, private attorneys can act on behalf of the attorney general of the state of California. So the attorney general can say, look, you did something wrong and I'll explain what it is because it, it, this is very important and it comes back around. You did this wrong. We don't have enough people to sue you. So we're going to let law firm XYZ sue you and whatever XYZ gets out of you, right? We're going to take 30, 40, 50% for the state of California. They're going to take their 30% and the rest of it will go to the consumers. So there are already firms lining up to sue uh, various different companies going to being one of them, but there's a, there's one against Salesforce. There's about 10 currently that I'm aware of. Um, but the it that you have to do, the, the failure is if you didn't protect the data, if you don't have proper cybersecurity in place, that is where it all hinges on. If you suffer a breach or data is shared improperly or, um, or users do not consent to the use of it, that's where all of these lawsuits come into play. Uh, It is the foundation for all of this. And most groups out there that are saying, we're going to make you CCPA compliant, yeah, you're going to follow the rules. You're going to know what data you have. You're going to decide whether or not you sell it. You're going to have a process in place to receive your notifications. You're going to have stuff on your website. You're going to train your people. But none of those things can give you security. Um, You're the you know based policies and actual procedures. to <laughs> put those policies in place. Um, your standard level security and California uses uh, the Center for Internet and Security uh, Top Twenty um, Critical Security Controls as kind of the basis. Ohio is using the same thing, I understand. But those twenty. Actually, map to NIST. They map to ISO. They map to pretty much every other guideline out there. My point in all this is: penalty. Um, you know, Facebook loses a million records, which would be very easy for them to do. The minimum penalty under the law is a hundred million dollars. That's the minimum penalty under the law. If that doesn't inspire you to put some security in, I don't know what will.
1: Yeah, excellent points. Um, you know, in, in one of the other pieces to it too is, in, and people don't realize it that uh, that this California Privacy Act is an international law. It, it applies to anyone around the world that, that conducts uh, business with a California citizen. But to to a, another point um, that I want to uh, point out before we close out here is, you know, uh, we had Margie Graves, uh, deputy CIO for the U.S. government, um, so she was out here in Colorado Springs at small business development center, um, conference last year. And one of the things that we, we talk about is, yeah, if I'm a business or small business and I'm doing, you know, almost everything's online now. Right. So, um, I have 50 different privacy laws that I have to understand and comply with as opposed to one national privacy law standard such, such as GDPR or, or you know, Canada's uh, version of, of GDPR. And... Um, it just makes it difficult to, for everyone to understand in the, the compliance piece. Bring it over to the insurance companies. Insurance companies said, cyber insurance? Hell, we don't know what that is. Free money. Then they have started to have to pay out. <laughs> now that due care, that due diligence, those clauses are written in um, to your insurance policies. You know, we've uh, uh, we've come to the end of our our, our broadcast here, our podcast. Uh, we were talking to E.J. Herbert from... Um, uh, CNM LLP. He's the managing um, uh, director for the cyber privacy uh, practice for his firm. Uh, it's been great having you on board and, and and sharing with our listeners. Any parting thoughts?
2: Last thing that people should know is um, we didn't really touch on this, but in this COVID environment in the world we are in, look, we're all, all going to get through this. It's going to come back around but do not expect life to be exactly the same. And I'm not talking about face masks and and hand washing and so on, we should be doing the hand washing anyways. I'm talking about the way we interact with people, the way we utilize technology going forward. Start paying attention to where you're giving up your information. That is a val- valuable commodity and you should not be giving this up for free. So uh, life is gonna change. Um, read ernest klein's uh ready player one original version if you've never re- read it uh we're real close to that kind of approach in terms of schooling and things of that nature uh, but again we've got to put our privacy and maintain our data while we're doing something of that nature
1: that's a great point great way to end the the podcast um uh, EJ Hilbert, thank you so much for contributing to our podcast. Our, our listeners will be appreciative. Um, you know, EJ Hilbert uh, on the New Cyber Frontier. My name's Sean Murray. I appreciate everyone hanging out with us today. Thanks again, EJ.
0: Gladly. Thank you for listening to New Cyber Frontier. Remember to follow or like our post and circulate each new show to your networks. We keep you informed bring you the latest news, explore new trends, and find the hottest topics. With New Cyber Frontier, you don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert, just get plugged in. We encourage you to get involved. Tell us what topics interest you and join our mailing lists. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. That's newcyberfrontier.com. Check out our previous interviews and please let us know if there are any topics that you would like to hear discussed. See you next time on New Cyber Frontier.